Welcome to Mosaic Station. We have a special episode for y'all today because we are doing our first um, episode while on COVID-19 lockdown here in Santa Clara Valley. Um, we uh, are doing this a little bit remotely, so we're giving this a shot. Um, my name is Chris. My name, by pronouns are he, him, his. Oh, my name is Tyrell. And um, pronouns he, him, his. My name is Jazz, pronouns she, her, hers. Hey, y'all. It's uh, Sharon. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. So this is uh, this is who we have here. And we'll uh, each talk a little bit more about who we are in a bit. But just to introduce a topic today, um, recording this podcast because we wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, what is going on right now at San Jose State and in Santa Clara Valley concerning COVID-19, coronavirus, the whole nine yards. Um, but also we want to focus a little bit on on both right now and the last few weeks uh, or months worth of like an increase in anti-Asian racism, xenophobia um, around the country and perhaps a little bit around the world as well and try to like talk a little bit about those things. Um, so just for some context, um, uh, I identify as Chinese American. I was born in the United States. My parents were born, um, in China, um, and Taiwan during the communist, uh, cultural revolution. Um, and they grew up in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go for it, um, I identify, uh, um, it's Tyrell again. Hello. Um, I identify as Filipino American. My uh, parents had immigrated here in the late sixties because uh, you know they were looking for work, the American dream, if you will. Um, so yeah. What's up? It's Jazz. I also identify as Filipino American. Um, my parents, before coming to America, they actually met in Hong Kong and they worked there together. Um, and my whole family immigrated from the Philippines um, around the 80s and 90s. And yeah, now we're here. <laughs> Been living around the Bay Area ever since. Yeah, um, so I identify as um, um, Pacific Islander and South Asian. Uh, my family is um, from Fiji. We don't really have any, I mean, obviously, being South Asian means, or Indian, Desi, means that we have ancestral ties to India, but it's been, you know, four or five generations, and so we don't really know a lot of our history. Um, and then I immigrated um, with my parents in, um, in 1996, and I lived all over the Bay Area. Um, and so yeah, kind of coming in with that wave of immigrants around the tech boom, um, you know, when there was a need or a call for more folks who were in the medical profession or business, um, so things like that. Cool. Thank you. Um, 
so I just kind of want to start quick with a big like round of check-in. How are folks doing right now? What's it feel like right now in Santa Clara Valley <laughs> in, or Santa Clara County? I mean, not the Valley. Uh, oh, I typed Valley in the notes. That's why. <laughs> Santa Clara <laughs> County. Um, <laughs> and uh, San Jose or, or wherever you are. Um, how are folks doing? What's it feel like? Hello. Um, so I'm from... I currently live in Lampitas with my parents. Um, so, uh, and recently there's been a shelter in place, placed by uh, the, uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And basically we're um, very encouraged to stay at home unless, and we can really only leave unless um, we need to get basic necessities from like the grocery store or um you know or if we need to just get somewhere but um and this shutdown is going to be lasting till like april 7th and it's it's been kind of like overwhelming and like mentally taxing but mm -hmm. it's cool yeah i mean i just i it kind of feels surreal like it feels like we're in a like the beginning of a really bad movie. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the only way I can think of like describing it. Um, and I, I don't know. It just feels very like like I don't know. It just it's not you know. I'm especially as a working professional. You know, you get up, you go to work. You, you do your, you know, nine to six and then you come home and you like live your life. And now it's like, there's no separation. And I think I worked really hard to like separate my work from home. And now it's like working from home means like there is no separation. <laughs> um, unless like, you know, I make it um, to the point where like, I didn't have a laptop at home, you know? And now I have to like figure out ways to like connect virtually with people and students, um, and especially given the work at Mosaic, which is very like front facing in the sense that like we're interacting with the community, our programs are for our SJS, SJSU community, right? And so it just feels very like, oh, okay, like this is a new phase of this work. And I'm trying to be like, okay, open-minded, like open heart, like how do I get this done? But it's also very like, it doesn't feel natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just to speak a little bit to our reality right now, um, Jasmine is, is, uh, currently simultaneously on this uh, podcast, as well as sitting in an online class, although she assures <laughs> us that the class has shifted just to questions at this point. So they're not, oh, yeah, we're yeah, not interrupting over, yeah. anything. Oh, it's over. No, it's over. Yeah, it's already done. So, okay, cool. okay, cool, 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 cool. but you know, um, having th these back-to-back -back Zoom calls, I mean, that's something that a lot of students are going to be having to navigate throughout these next few weeks, just being online. And um, for students who don't even have access to laptops or the, um, the technology that they need, that's going to be kind of a challenge. Um, but like Sharon was saying, you know, this is another phase of our work that we're doing together. And the fact that we have this technology and we can meet up um, and talk about these things together, um, I feel like is part of our job. And I'm learning and trying to adapt and um, really use social media as our platform to like communicate with our audience and um, 
to direct people to more resources. And before doing that, you know, I have to educate myself. So I feel like I'm really trying to understand like what's going on right now, um, what's available, what are the resources that are available, and um, how I can share that information with others in need. Yeah, for sure. I think um, right now, like, it, we, I think we are very much um, uh, lucky to be in a time when we do have these technological resources that we can, like, it's certainly easier in 2020 to, to like, maintain these connections than it would have been in, like, 1920 or whatever. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I think to myself, like, what my reality is right now as I look at what's um, going to be at least a three-week lockdown, right, is that mm -hmm. I live I, – I mean, I have the privilege of living by myself. I don't have roommates or anything, um, which means that I'm going to be by myself in this apartment. Like <laughs> – um, you know, and I, I don't really have another human being to talk to except through like Zoom or phone or whatever. You have um, a cat. <laughs> I have a cat who doesn't talk back yet, thankfully. Um, <laughs> um, so it's 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 weird, you know. It's like I think yeah. um like kind of where we are now. It's like we are still like no matter no matter what happens technologically, we are still social creatures and mm -hmm. like. You know, even though it may not be, you know, even though, like, I know that there's a difference between, like, introversion, extroversion, and what people are willing to take on or not willing to take on. But even introverts, like, I self-identify as introvert, and it's still, I still require social interaction on some level. Like, even, like, seeing people or talking to people once in a while, you know, and, like, just the thought of, like, oh, I may not see anyone like in real life for a little while is like kind of a weird daunting thought you know yeah. um yeah. yeah it is and this i feel like um webcaming and just seeing each other through zoom is very reminiscent um kenny when we were talking about glee like the other week we were talking about a cultural reset right yeah. i feel like in a way like doing zoom and doing these video chats is almost like a cultural reset but we now mm -hmm. have like more technology to connect with each other um but it also is very reminiscent of my parents zooming or just like facetiming um their relatives back home totally. and i feel like that's something that a lot of immigrants go through is having to um, connect with their families overseas and so this is it almost feels this way you know but except we're just all you know a lot closer together or spread out but yeah feels like that and yeah, that's something that my family that. has had to go through for a long time especially on my dad's side who um, most of his family is overseas so yeah it's interesting yeah that's true I mean like we have family members who we like the only time we can connect is through like WhatsApp calls. Right. And um, using the, the tech that we have, like even through our phones is just amazing right now. Um, but you're right. Like I didn't think about it. a lot of immigrant families who have family, you know, in international, like that are like international. We, with these, these are kind of like not, outside the box for us in, in terms mm -hmm. of communicating. So yeah, it just, maybe it feels weird because 
like I would see y'all like every other day right. or every day, and now I don't. You're like, <laughs> you're I, like I think, yeah, I think that's I think, a good point. I think it now. feels. I think it feels weird because we're all like within a 15 minute drive of each other. <laughs> and yet this is the way we have to do it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right, Jazz. I think like it's funny when I think about like. So I'm a little bit older than y'all, um, and I remember when I was a kid, um, and uh, having um, my parents like have to communicate with my family in Taiwan. And a lot of that, that was like very like, it was just on the phone. And like, there would just be these like hour long, like four hour long, like phone calls, like international phone calls. Um, and I still remember like, like, I guess like people still do it nowadays because people still talk on the phone, but I guess a lot more people do like Zoom or like, like Google Hangouts or like FaceTime or whatever. But like, I remember like having to type in that long ass, like international code phone number. <laughs> Like zero one one two whatever 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 it's like this like twelve digit number or like fifteen digit number and like you know it's it's just like this weird thing and like it's also like for my parents like my parents are like they're hard of hearing and it's something that kind of gradually happened throughout their life and as they got as their hearing got worse and worse um it got harder and harder for them to talk on the phone and it's interesting to think that like. Like, you know, back in the day, like the only thing you could do was talk on the phone. And if you couldn't hear, then you were just you were screwed. Like right. there was really nothing else you could do. Yeah. So, um, so kind of like bouncing off of this a little bit, then. So we are kind of. I mean, the situation with us is changing kind of day by day. I think we've kind of hit a bit of a plateau right now. I don't know what else would happen in Santa Clara County um, at this point. So hopefully things won't change too much in the next couple of days. Um, but for the last few days, it felt like things were changing. Like every few hours, there'd be something different. Mm -hmm. um, and we went from, at least as a campus, we went from like like school to like no classes to classes online to like having maybe like no like programs and then no large programs but still small programs to no small programs to no like group meetings to like you know like it was just like every few days or few hours there's like a new thing that came out um and it, it definitely like for me has made it difficult to remember what life was even like like six days ago um but i do remember that like you know like before we went on this like kind of lockdown the past couple of days, like um there was like we were getting an influx of like local and national and international news and there was like a lot going on around the country, around the world. Um particularly, you know, for me I was looking at like a lot of news stories about like attitudes towards Asian communities, Asian individuals, particularly Chinese folks. Um, I don't know how like how much y'all were following along with that stuff too. Yeah, I mean, I was seeing on social media um, like hate crimes um, and and things on you know towards students on college campus because we you know maybe that's just what I follow, but you know in 
we do on college campuses have a lot of international students and we know that our international students do travel. Um, and so I was, I was seeing some, you know, hate crimes towards our international students, specifically, you know, those who are um, Chinese um, international students. And then I was seeing a lot of just like horrible things being said um, towards our like, medical or like food industry workers, like service industry folks who may be, you know, um, Asian. And so seeing a lot of that, right? Because we know that um, this virus did hit, you know, in China. And, and so therefore the medical and science, like the medical team and the scientists there are working on finding, you know, some type of cure or remedy of what's happening but folks are like not supportive right that like xenophobia is is leading to the u.s and other um like world leaders not working with the chinese government and it's just like yo we're in this together like we can't just be like nope can't do this anymore <laughs> like can't work with these folks because of our own like fears, you know? So yeah, I've, I've been definitely like seeing that happen. There, oh. yeah. there was even like this tweet um, put up by like Donald Trump that I saw like the other day. It was like, he called like the coronavirus, the Chinese virus. And we, we, we officially like the World Health, World Health Organization, they specifically said that we didn't they they didn't want to include like any type of like geographic or like ethnic description of the virus because that could inflame the xenophobia towards the like right. towards those people um and i just think that's like terrible you know yeah i mean i just feel like our representatives and leaders like some of them not all of them but some of them i just like how are you here how do you exist? How does your yeah. mind work? <laughs> <laughs> I saw the tweet and I was just like, I hate this fool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like, was watching... Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, no, go for it, Jess. Oh, so I was just going to say, I was watching uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Mm. And when he was recording, I mean, it was really weird because, you know, it's usually a live studio audience. And mm -hmm. first thing that is like, I know this is weird. And it was just him at a desk and just a blank background um but he did mention oh, I talk about? oh he he featured one of these world leaders or somebody who's on the news saying that if you hold your breath for 10 seconds then that's how you know if you have the virus or not like if it burns then that's how you know if you have the virus or not and that's like false information and like there's so much of this going on that our world leaders are spreading and our own president is spreading like we don't even know if he has it like it's just and just to see these people in power like not even understanding the power they have or right. like really what's going on is really discouraging but i mean now is the time for like solidarity solidarity within our communities um, right yeah. I think I definitely think that like I agree with you that like some of our world leaders right now, particularly in the United States, as far as like the federal administration and then like some senators and governors and stuff, um, like they don't really understand that like 
that they have to hold themselves to a higher standard, especially in a time mm-hmm. like this, you know? It's like, it's one thing if, like, like one of us on Facebook shares false information. Like, we're only, we only have, like, 100 or 500 friends on Facebook, right? Like, like our false information will only spread to the people we know, and then somebody in that circle, because we're all of the same peer level, will, like, can reasonably address that right so if i share something like the the holding breath thing and then my friend sees it and they're like oh that's not right they can comment and be like oh that's false information and we have like this kind of like closed small social circle right right there's like like, checks and balances right right which like which is like true about any sort of dialogues we can hold right like that's Mm -hmm. why like it's fine for us to say certain things because we have people around us who keep us in check and stuff but then, like, for somebody with, like, the power of, like, the presidency or the power of, like, a government department to say something, like, we like like we can't even talk back to Donald Trump's Twitter, you know, because, like, he'll just say shit and then, like, you can, like, you can, you can address it on Twitter and he, you know, he doesn't read that stuff, you know. And so it's just, like, he doesn't, under, like, people don't understand that, like, you can't just, like, say stuff as if you were, like, just like a nobody in your living room like you have to like hold yourself to higher power because you have actual like consequences and actual influence mm-hmm. but i mean i think that this is also on par of everything in his uh you know his time as as president you know i don't think i think maybe we've become kind of numb or maybe I'm speaking for myself. Let me speak for myself. I feel like maybe I'm just like, oh, half the things he says, I just like don't, I just ignore it because for my own sanity, I'm like, you don't even make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you yeah, know, I, 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 and that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's dangerous. Like, yeah. Like it's, it's putting, it's literally at this point putting people at risk. Right. And I, I think it's also folks who are the most at risk, right, are like our folks who are um, our nurses, our doctors, the folks who are, you know, um, doing facilities, like our trash collectors, right, Um, our food industry folks are, you know, like, those are folks who are being impacted the most. And I know, especially here in San Jose, we do have a large, like, Asian population. And you know, there's so many businesses that are being closed down that are like mom and pop, like local shops. Like this is going beyond like the impacts of gentrification, right? Like we're we're going to see all of these um, folks who've been here for 10, 15, 20 years being wiped out in this, uh, you know, in the span of like a month or two. Um, Or even multi-generational, right? Right, right. Like, their parents or their parents' parents immigrated here and they've been, they've had the same like restaurant or they've had the same like, like antique store or whatever for Mm -hmm. like the the past like 50, hundred years. And then like, you know, now it's like, you know, like I know that for restaurants, for instance, I mean, I don't know, I've never worked in a restaurant, but I feel like I know based off of just like news and stuff that like restaurants, like they don't last very long if people don't go. Like it's not like, most restaurants don't have a giant pool of money they can tap into in case of emergency. Like most restaurants are living like, you know, week to week or month to month based off of the amount of income they get. And if they like have a bad week, then they're like really screwed. 
you know? Right, right. And, and, and I've worked in the food industry and it's just like, if for whatever reason, like the rent gets increased, right? And at a time when we know not enough folks are going in, right? Um, if folks don't use like DoorDash or Postmates, right? And they haven't, um, or maybe they don't have access to these new ways of being in the in in um, this new economy, right? And you can't make rent. Where we don't have our local government saying like, "Oh, you don't have to pay the mortgage during this like pandemic," right? We're not getting those messages, right? Or like, "Oh, you're gonna get like the first month salary still on on time." Like, we're not getting those messages, right? And so. Um, we it can't be like we can't have um folks still worrying about doing their taxes and like getting paid and having to pay their bills like right now we should just be like how do we get to the next thing the the biggest thing that we need to focus on is like our public health mm. and we can't do that if we're just trying to make money and survive right we can't shelter in place if we don't have money to pay for the shelter <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still know Asian restaurants that are, like, cash only. Like, they are for sure not on DoorDash. You know what I right, mean? Like, right. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It's And, and um, like, like, part of this is, like, this is, like, kind of, like, like, gentrification on steroids, right? Where it's, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's uh, like... The, the property value in this area is so valuable mm-hmm. that like you know people are barely hanging on um and you know the thought that like you know we're going to have like like we have you know like particularly restaurants i keep coming back to restaurants because restaurants i know for chinese immigration restaurants were the way that we like established ourselves in mm-hmm. the united states you know historically like when when there was greater Chinese immigration in the like um thirties and forties, um like or even earlier than that too, but so between the nineteen hundreds and the nineteen forties, a lot of Chinese immigrants, I mean based off of laws, we can get into this too, we'll get into this too about historical laws. But based off of like literal laws that were passed by the federal government, like the Chinese Exclusion Act, like Chinese immigrants couldn't hold down like a lot of jobs like they were required to work in specific service industry fields and the two things that they were allowed to do is either work in laundromats or they're allowed to work in restaurants Mm -hmm. and so a lot of chinese immigrants who that came over during that time um were assigned quote-unquote assigned to just work in restaurants and the way that like chinese American like population survived was that very strategically, you know, and this happened in like San Francisco Chinatown, and this happened in in California specifically. They formed these um, like associations that would then keep track of Chinese immigration. Like, if you were an immigrant coming over from China, and it wasn't that hard because the Chinese Exclusion Act restricted Chinese immigration to 104 people a year. So you, you weren't getting more than 104 people a year. Um, and so the, the, in Chinatown, in San Francisco Chinatown, they would keep this association that would, you would 
kind of quote unquote be required. It wasn't a law or anything, but like Chinese social practices, you would check in with the association. They would train you how to like run a restaurant. And then they would send you to a part of the country that didn't already have a Chinese restaurant. And then you would open a Chinese restaurant there. And like, that's why, like, even today, if you go to like some random ass podunk town in like middle of like Minnesota, you're still going to find a Chinese restaurant. Cause like, that's how we did it, you know? Like, mm -hmm. as far as like how Chinese people like survived immigration, it was like through like this like network of Chinese restaurants. And as World War One and World War Two ended and the soldiers came back from Asia, we had soldiers all around the United States who wanted to eat Chinese food. And so like they just had these restaurants that they were able to open up all throughout the country. Like, like I did my grad school internship in South Carolina in Clemson and there was a there was a Chinese restaurant there. Like and they were serving some like legit Chinese food. I mean it was alright, it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> mostly, mostly because access to like um, authentic food items gets scarce when you're in certain parts of the country. But the people who are running it were like Chinese immigrants. They were like they're from multi generational. Mm -hmm. Like they spoke Mandarin. Like I spoke with them, you know, and they had like stuff that I would expect to find on any Chinese menu all around the country. They had like beef noodle soup, and they had like. All this stuff that was like more than just like Hello Panda stuff, you know? <laughs> and so like it's 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 just it's hard, you know, to think that like like this like tool that we use to survive and to build ourselves is now like at risk and is like like you know, vulnerable to this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that historically, you know, Asians play a very uh, delicate dance here in the U.S., um, mm -hmm. right? Like, we are seen as the model minority when times are good. And mm -hmm. then very quickly, when, you know, shit goes down, we're kicked out, right? And so I think it's important for us folks who identify as Asian to remember this, right? And I think as um, a Desi American person, right? Like after 9-11, right? Like there was this like pushback, right? Um, and I think like that's something that I, that's why like for a long time I didn't say I identified as Asian um, because after, right? Like 9-11 was during my time. I realized that it's not safe, um, right? And so now I think we have to realize that, like, we don't, this is a myth for a reason. Um, and that, you know, this is going to have some lasting effects on, on how we identify and how we're seen in our, in our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I think uh, I'm glad you brought up 9-11 because I feel like 9-11 is kind of where my head's at right now, too. And mm -hmm. I don't want to, like, I, I, I bring it up not to, like, try to compare necessarily, like, global impact or severity or anything. Like, certainly, like, there's really no use trying to compare one one thing to another in that sense. But as far yeah. as, like, emotional impact and, like, fear and confusion, like, I feel like there's certainly a certain, like, 9-11 vibe to this all. Um, 
which I was like, turn out Jasmine, jump in. And I was like, y'all weren't around for 9-11. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, um, but I yeah. Like three, but like... <laughs> You're what? Yeah. I was like they three were like two or and something. Three. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, certainly like, you know, I, I think, you know, Sharon probably feel, feels a lot more personally. Um, it certainly affected South Asian folks a lot more. Um, but yeah. when 9-11 happened, like, there was a whole section of the population that ranged anywhere from, like, Middle Eastern to Arabic to South Asian that just all kind of got lumped into this one group of, like, danger, danger, danger. And then, mm-hmm. like, like at best would be excluded, at worst would be targeted by violent or vicious, like, attacks, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know... I mean, that's kind of what we default to in this country, right? Anytime anybody feels scared, they jump right into, like, racism, xenophobia, like, you know, like, get away from me, like, I only want to be around my own people kind of a feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think maybe Tyrell and Jasmine can can speak to this a little bit more, but, like, as you all are living through this, and this is going to be something that you all will like concretely like remember, um, <laughs> like how how do you all feel like hearing these like comparisons or stories? Um, comparisons to like nine eleven, right? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> well, I mean. It's it's just like like bouncing off like what you said earlier is that we tend to like normalize these sentiments like we're considered like the model minority in like good times um, when in reality like um, throughout history like it's shown like as Chris was saying you know with like the Chinese American community or like you know Filipino American community you know any like Asian community like they have been systemically um, oppressed. Um, throughout history and people nowadays they they don't really recognize that um and it's like united united states history is it's full of examples that just reflect this racism against asians and it's it's not new um it's just that most people have ignored it denied it or just like normalized it Mm -hmm. crazy to me yeah yeah i love that you know like normalized denied it or what's the third one um oh shoot i forgot (laughs) (laughs) uh ignored it wait ignored it denied it (laughs) or normalized uh, oh normalized it yeah 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 Yeah. 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 i mean I mean, for me, um, just hearing like examples of like, or stories of people just being in fear of losing their jobs over this too. Um, Like one of my cousins, she recently started working in Berkeley at a startup and she's just an intern and they recently had to let her go um, because I think her, her contract was up. But I mean, of course, she kind of felt like, oh, what if there was an underlying Mm-hmm. Uh, like reason behind this because of the timing and like what's going on but I mean even if it isn't that you know I'm sure like a lot of people are experiencing like that same fear because of other people 
and mm-hmm. like yeah yeah i i i feel like i'm seeing like this generation of folks like memeify a lot of it as a way to like cope as well um i'm saying that the meme games are really strong right now (laughs) you know um but i think it's also like a coping mechanism right like humor is a way for us to deal with some of our stuff right and so you know i wonder like once we get like deeper into this like what support systems that we'll need to establish right because this is going to lead to some trauma y'all like how do we (laughs) how do we um how do we support this generation of folks right like i don't know i'm just thinking that as well yeah, I mean, ever since the beginning of 2020, like three days into 2020, we were already getting memes about World War Three, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's just been escalating from there. Yeah, with everything that's been going on. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's it's been it's been a really tough journey, you know, at this point, and it's hard to reconcile this idea of like, like, what. Like, do we, are we going to be able to get past this? Are we going to be able to survive this? You know, what's it look like on the other end of this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think going back to what Tyrell said, though, like, if we look at history, right, like, this isn't the first time that um, communities have had to deal with a specific incident or, you know, a time in history like this. And, you know, folks tend to forget, right? Um, or they own it in a sense, or they normalize it or whatever, or they just deny it. And it's like, I I wonder if this is just going to be another blimp in the history books, you yeah. know? Whoever writes the next set of history books, like, um, I wonder, like, how this part of, you know, 2019 and 2020 are going to be written. Because um, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's important to remember that, like, that um, th- there is historical context to this. Mm-hmm. Like, this has happened before. This will happen again. Um, we have history in in this country about yellow peril and how we treat Asian immigrants and Asian like folks or folks in the Asian diaspora. You know, we have. You know, I think um, significantly, you know, Chinese folks are the the only people to ever be named in a federal law that prevented immigration Um, and uh, with the Chinese Exclusion Act. And a lot of what we're facing right now are some of the same things that were faced back then, like the um, like the, the precursor to the Chinese Exclusion Act was the Page Act, which specifically prevented the immigration of Chinese women and the reason why the page act went through is because at the time people thought that Chinese women carried diseases and you know there was like this feeling of I mean it's not just that there's other things involved of course but like as far as like ignoring denying or naturalizing things go um the naturalization of it, the rationalization of it was based around this idea that Asian women 
had were disease carriers and there were diseases that were coming out of China that the United States like didn't want to deal with. And so they, they banned immigration. Now, of course, all this is not true at all, right? Like this is all just hysteria, but that's what was also like, like creepy white men who were trying to get with Asian women and just like, couldn't justify their feelings and their own like fears and like desires, you know, like, yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And also part of that is like Chinese women. One of the only ways to make money at the time for Chinese women was, was prostitution. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it also had this like kind of patriarchal anti, anti women, misogynistic, like, you know, women are, are, are sex, sex objects, and then they're also disease sex objects. So we have to pass laws because, like, I don't know, like, people can't avoid prostitution or whatever. I don't know. It's like this weird complex layer thing of, like, anti-racist, anti- or it's racist, xenophobic, sexist, like, all all rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean... Yeah. You know, and to think that, like, you know, this, this, like, we look back on it now and are able to say, like, okay, that was ridiculous. Like, at the time, the American Medical Association, like, thought that that was a real thing, you know? And then it's easy for us nowadays when it's, like, 150, almost 50, 150 years later, like, to look back on it and be like, oh, that was stupid. Like, we were idiots. (laughs) Um, and at the same time, we're going through it now again, you know, like it, it keeps yeah. happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, history repeats itself. And like Sharon was saying, how are we going to rewrite or how are we going to like, get through this and it- approach this in the ways that we can now with where we have I heard I heard this quote recently and instead of like instead of like history repeats itself it's it's more like we're the ones who repeat history um Mm. so I think more so um I think there's a sense of urgency now to kind of like look to educate and create more conversation surrounding the racism, xenophobia um, that has, like, arisen um, amongst, you know, like, the anti-Asian American sentiments amongst, like, you know, um, within, like, America. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think it's definitely, like, twofold, right? Like, we need to have um, Asians who've been privileged right, who may have the resources and the economic means to have entered into spaces that um, other folks of color, uh, specifically, you know, like our, our black and brown folks um, who, who haven't had the opportunities, right, um, to really check their privilege and take this moment in time to realize that, like, yo, the doors can close very quickly, right? Um, and then the other fold is for folks for um, Asians who often, you know, get left out are our islanders and our um, Filipino folks and our, you know, Vietnamese folks um, 
and all the other Asians that kind of get lumped together, right? Um, for us to realize that like we now more than ever need to like be in a community with our people um, because it can't just be like, I'm looking out for myself and I'm looking out for my loved ones. It needs to be like the only way things can get better is if we band together um, because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I think, um, you know, going off of that sentiment, like we're still going to be here, Mosaic. Like we're still going to be trying our best. Hey. To, like, uh, try, try our best to like keep our community going. And we encourage folks who are engaging with our community actions to keep your communities going. Like I know it's it's tough, um, and and you know, like not ideal, but you know we still have each other, and we still have like ways in which we can engage with one another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like as. Thank you for listening to us on this podcast. We're going to have more stuff released hopefully soon in the coming days and weeks. Um, but engage with us in our social media, right? Like we're really active on our Instagram. Um, so connect with us, right? Like tell us your thoughts. Tell us what you're feeling. Um, yeah, share stories and tag us in it, right? Like we, we want to know what you're going through. We want to know your story and um, we're here for you. For sure. Yeah. All right, so anyone have anything else they want to add? Um. No? Okay. (laughs) And their loved ones, you know, good health and support and we're going to try and be as supportive as we can take care of yourselves um practice social distancing but not social isolation mm-hmm. um and yeah <laughs> yeah drink that, water. <laughs> drink that water yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, uh, Terrell, Sharon, Jasmine, for joining me today on this uh, another episode of Mosaic Station. Um, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. We're thank you. Going as much as we can. Cool. Right. So. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> listen, listen carefully. Thank you.